Have wide receivers really fallen off? Things to consider when developing approaches to your draft and we're mock drafting with an extra special guest on Roto-Viz Radio. Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. As we mentioned last week, Matt is out on vacation, so I hope he's having a great time. But I can't lie, I'm actually a little excited that he's out as it opened up the opportunity for us to bring on a guest that needs no introduction, a Rotoviz co-owner, zero running back inventor, and the FF contrarian himself, Mr. Sean Siegel. What's going on, Sean? I'm really excited to have you on the show tonight. Well, excited to be here. And as training camps get fired up and and get going, you know, it's the perfect time, I think, to really get into it. We're going to do a mock draft tonight, like you said. And uh, you know, since I'm on the show, I get to I get to promote the the tools that I've been using. And I'm really excited about. So anybody who is listening who does not subscribe and is not using the fantastic tools that Dave has put together, uh, you're really missing out. And we'll go through some of the the things you can do with them tonight. And I think after that, you'll be even more excited to get in there and and mock draft and, and do some other things with it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and I also need to extend a big thank you to everyone that called in to 978-925-7628 and left us their bold predictions. I really appreciate it. And we got a lot of awesome voicemails. There's still one week left to win the free entry into a league at the FFPC. So call 978-925-7628 and leave us your bold predictions. Now, before we get into the mock draft, picking Sean's brain, to get an understanding of the thought processes that he's employing while drafting, I first want to play a game of true or false with Sean. So I'm going to read a sentence and he'll tell me if it will be true or false once the 2018 season is in the books. We have a lot to cover, so we'll try to rifle through these as much as we can. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Tariq Cohen will outscore Jordan Howard. True. And it's going to be tricky for him to do that, but you look at your projections. So you have some low, median, and and high projections there, along with an average. And on a 15 game season, what we would see in a fantasy season if both players stay healthy, Cohen's only 11 back at that median level. And what that means to me is I think he's got more room to see his projections change or his uh, role on the team change. Also, obviously, what he would have to do in order to to win would either see, you know, obviously a Howard injury or uh, really blow up as a receiver. And I think that a lot of people expect that and Cohen with his receiving share, his touches are just so much more valuable. So from that perspective, he's going to get a lot more value each touch and he's less likely to get injured than Howard is because of the way he gets those touches. So I think there's a, a pretty clear path for him to, to outscore him there. Wow, that, that's an interesting one. I'm not sure that I actually can get on board with that. But I'm also interested to hear if you think that Kenny Stills will outscore Devontae Parker. Personally, I do. Do you think that that will be a true statement? I do. And, you know, Stills has been more productive. He's a little more of a vertical threat, which might, you know, lower his floor and give him, you know, make him a little bit trickier to play on a week to week basis. One of the things I thought was interesting is that both Stills and Parker uh, have better sim score numbers in uh, your tool than I think readers would um, 
would expect. It's sort of surprising. So especially now in a situation where they have lots of opportunities. So, you know, these this model is not, you know, taking into consideration what their opportunity would be, but their opportunity this year is great with Jarvis Landry moving on. Uh, do you think both of these guys could end up being not exactly league winners, but people who vastly outperform ADP? Yeah, I think the the potential definitely is there. And actually, this week I posted my AFC East projections, uh, and I think Stills and Parker both finished solidly. And I haven't gone through all the teams yet, so I can't say for sure. But with the points that uh, I projected them with, it looks like they both can certainly finish in that wide receiver three territory. And that was with pretty similar target shares. So naturally, if one of them does become the favorite option now that Landry is gone, that really opens them up to a potential wide receiver two finish, at which point they would be significantly playing out or outplaying their ADP. Um, and as I've mentioned, I really like Stills this season. I think that he's going to emerge as more than just that vertical or that deep threat. And it is really crazy to see that given his performance last season, now it was very efficient, but he's one of the few players that has carried this from season to season. Uh, his high projection is 223 points on a 15 game season. So that is extremely impressive and it just speaks to uh, the potential that could be there especially with Landry now gone so another wide receiver that there is a bit of a debate on this year I shared my thoughts on last week Brandon Cooks Brandon Cooks will not finish inside the top 15 of PPR wide receiver rankings. That's true. And it's not because Cooks obviously isn't a good player. He maybe right. has, you know, even a better floor now than he did previously. But again, kind of, uh, you know, looking looking at the tools there and using some of these historical projections to give a little bit of a, a sense before we start to, to adjust for the situation and opportunity, which I think is an interesting way to, to kind of create some expectations before we then look at, at what some of the moves might be. And, and Cooks comes in uh, rank number 24 in, in terms of, of what he would project out to. And, and that's interesting based on you know his previous body of work. Now, looking at that, there were six guys I think he will definitely finish ahead of or has a great chance to finish ahead of uh, who <laughs> were ranked ahead of him. At the same time, it, that isn't moving quite into the top 15, but but it gives you a sense of you know where you know he he maybe could could move up. At the same time, there were numerous players also after him who I think will outperform him, like Demarius Thomas, Stephon Diggs, uh, Amari Cooper. So finishing in the top inside the top 15 is going to be a challenge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And for me, the major thing that it comes down to is the opportunity that he's going to see. We'll have to wait and see, obviously, how that plays out. Now. When he was with the Patriots, not the highest target total. He's gone. That brings us to Rob Gronkowski, a Patriot that maybe could reprise a little bit more of a role, although he's always been so involved, it's practically hard to imagine that. But my question is, will Rob Gronkowski be the tight end one at the end of the 2018 season, true or false? I think that's false, but only looking at it from a certain perspective when I take the field there. I think obviously he's got a pretty decent chance of getting injured in any given season. I think you should take him as the top tight end, but with uh, Travis Kelsey being such a force and perhaps now moving into an offense that's even going to be much more high powered. Uh, I think that those two guys end up getting very close. And then we also have some players like Zach Ertz, uh, breakout player, potentially and Evan Ingram, uh, someone who, you know, Jordan Reed ever stayed healthy. There definitely are guys within that group who could get him, you know, even if he stays mostly healthy and then the health obviously is the issue there. But 
you know, he's he's an excellent pick very, very early on. So I know I said we would rifle through this, but you touched upon one thing that I want to uh, ask you about. And that was you said that the Chiefs offense could potentially be more high powered. Is that because of the addition of Watkins or is it because of Mahomes or a mixture? I think it's a mixture and also because uh, the Chiefs have sort of signaled that they want to go in a different direction. So as opposed to being a slightly more run-based team, a very efficient but sort of slow down team, uh, working with the running backs, trying to manage the game, uh, being very well coached and uh, winning some of these games where perhaps they you know, didn't have the talent. But Andy Reid is, is fantastic in terms of game planning and, and getting the team ready. And unfortunately, uh, you know, that hasn't played out exactly in the postseason because of some specific big plays. But they're definitely going in a direction where it's going to be more offense. It's going to be back to some of the things he did in Philadelphia, I think tweaked to some of the developments that the NFL has made. And so when you look at the personnel and what they've done with Watkins, how they've moved on from Alex Smith, and really how even with a defense that has lots of problems, deciding to add Sammy Watkins instead of addressing those first, it's a pretty clear signal of how they intend to win this season, which is through the shootout. Yeah, it's it's it it is exciting, and I've been um, a fantasy player that has been down on Watkins, and I still don't know from a fantasy perspective, I'm that high on him, but I'm really excited about seeing what this team can do and just watching them play on Sundays. And the player that I'm very excited about is Darius Geis. Darius Geis scores 12 total touchdowns in his rookie season. True or false? I think that's false. They're, you know, looking back to 2000, I believe there have been 13 rookie running back seasons where we had 12 total touchdowns. And, you know, some of the players in that group are, are not stars, but we've certainly had stars like Ladanian, uh, Tomlinson, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, Le'Veon Bell, some guys like that who are, you know, very much at that top end where I think they are more talented than guys or, or, went into the NFL with a little bit more of a situation where you could expect those touchdowns. And then, you know, obviously they've come on, didn't make it, got close. I think that he's not going to be on the field quite as much as his owners would like. Although, you know, Alex Smith is a better quarterback than people think. And that Washington offense is is set up to score points. So I think there will be goal line opportunities. Yeah. As much as I like guys, I would have to agree with you there. Jimmy Graham fails to find the end zone eight times. A lot of people are hoping that he takes over that Jordy Nelson role. And even if he doesn't get utilized heavily, uh, you know, prior to the team getting in the red zone, that he can make up for it with a high touchdown total. So eight touchdowns, true or false? I think that's false. I think he's going to get there. He's done it five out of eight seasons and he's done it five out of six seasons where he had 90 targets. So if he stays healthy, I mean, he's he's just such a force there. And the Packers now have the weakest uh, set of wide receivers that they've had in a long time. And certainly with Aaron Rodgers, you have this ability to get double-digit touchdowns for the third and fourth option to guys like uh, James Jones, who simply you know were not that talented. Um, if Graham stays on the field and Aaron Rodgers stays on the field, then he's going to score. Right. And I had phrased that a little oddly the second time. But yeah, so Sean said that it was false, meaning that you do expect him to find the end zone eight times. That's that my interpretation there is correct, right? Yes. Okay. Final question before we move on. The Eagles repeat as Super Bowl champions. True or false? 
I think this is false, but going into the season, you certainly would have to put them among the main contenders. They, they're not resting on their laurels trying to, to get even better. It'll be interesting to see what Wentz is like. You know, I don't know that his recovery from the injury will be quite as smooth as you know, some of the narratives would make it out. But certainly, even if he has a little bit of trouble there, as long as he's mostly intact, um, we, we should see further development. Now, you know, not leading to a Super Bowl title is obviously always very, very difficult. But, you know, if we had a setup here where we had Patriots-Eagles several times in the next five or six years, I don't think that would surprise anyone. Yeah, I don't think that that would be... Boy, that is something I would love to see, especially as a Patriots fan. Um, but we'll move on from that before I just completely digress into, uh, I don't even know what I would call that. It still stings. Anyway, one of the major narratives being discussed far and wide this offseason is the major step taken backward by the wide receiver position in 2017. Now, personally, in the research that I've done, I'm not as convinced as other analysts are that there's this extremely dire situation at the wide receiver position. Um, and a major driver of this notion is the lack of supreme scoring from the best players at the position last season. Now, I will concede that there are some interesting data points to consider. Now, I know you tuned into this pod to listen to Sean, but I'm going to quickly hit some highlights from an article that I wrote back in February because I think it's going to give us some context around which we can have a quick conversation here and then we'll get Sean's take. So in 2017, only two wide receivers eclipsed 300 fantasy points. Well, this isn't a major change from three in 2016. It is significant when compared to the average of six recorded between 2013 and 2015. Further, only seven wide receivers surpassed 250 points in 2017. Eight did so in 2016, but between 2013 and 2015, an average of 13 wide receivers accomplished this feat. So that is hard for me to argue. I mean, that is a very significant decrease there. Um, in 2017, though, a major reason for this was passing touchdowns were down. I've heard it mentioned that this is because offenses are distributing the ball more evenly. However, between 13 and 16, wide receiver ones, and I'm using wide receiver one here to describe players that saw the highest target totals in their offenses, wide receiver ones accounted for 42% of all receiving touchdowns recorded by wide receivers. In 2017, this cohort was responsible for 41%, so not a major change there. Wide receiver twos recorded 28% of all touchdowns between 13 and 16, whereas 27% of all touchdowns were scored by wide receiver twos last season. In 2017, wide receiver threes accounted for 18%. This was equivalent to the percentage of the prior seasons, and there was a change of only 1% when you're looking at all other wide receivers. Another case that I've heard made is that targets are shifting from wide receiver to running back. Like touchdowns, wide receiver targets dipped on the hole in 2017. Only 12 wide receivers saw more than 125 targets, a drop of 45% from the average of 22 recorded in the four seasons prior. Similarly, only 27 wide receivers were targeted 100 or more times, a drop of 29% from the average of 38 recorded in the four season prior. That's all very true, but you have to pay attention to this big drop. Between 2013 and 2015, receivers saw nearly 10,600 targets per season. Over 10,900 wide receiver targets were posted in 2016. So a very 
very significant drop is seen because only 9,914 were thrown last season. I do think, though, that you have to keep in mind that we saw 10,900, which built over that 10,600 total from 13 to 15. So the important thing is if you're inclined to assume that wide receiver threes and wide receiver fours have been seen increasing percentages of looks, this hasn't been the case since 2013. So rather, the allocation of targets has remained relatively flat. Were targets down at running back and tight end? No and yes. Running back saw the highest volume of targets of the last five seasons in 2017, whereas tight ends recorded their lowest total. So while it's tempting to identify running backs as the plague of the 2000 wide receiver, I don't think that's the case because in 2017, running backs saw approximately 200 more targets than the average recorded between 13 and 16. This is significant, but it doesn't fully explain the chasm of 600 or so targets that we talked about before. And furthermore, the pickup at running back was offset by a decrease of around 160 targets at tight end. Wide receiver targets were down in 2017, but their balance didn't fully shift to the other positions. A lot of that was about league-wide volume not just running backs stealing that share. Because like I said, if they were stealing it, it actually appears that it's more likely they were stealing it from tight ends on their teams. So I don't believe that they're stealing the production at these alarming rates that you may have been told. And the drop in league-wide passing attempts and the decrease of number of, of the number of high-scoring wide receivers in 16 and 17 makes the situation seem more dire than it likely is. Now, one of the things I did touch upon in my article was that wide receivers have been losing their share of red zone touchdowns, which certainly could be a factor. But at this point, it's hard to say if that's a trend. So to me, I don't see there being this real imminent threat in that wide receivers are disappearing. So the article was called, Where Have All the Wide Receivers Gone? If you want to get more context and and see some of the data, check it out. But I bring this up to give us context to talk to Sean, who obviously over the years has had great success with strategies focusing on wide receivers and the position. So Sean, are wide receivers on the way out? Should we be placing less of an emphasis on the position? And does this impact structural approaches such as zero running back? Well, it's it's definitely a, a very interesting and, and I think complicated question. I think there are a lot of different elements to it, which which is one of the reasons it, it's so fun. You, there are a lot of things to look at and, and you touched on quite a few of them. Uh, the other day on, on the Dynasty Blueprint, I mentioned the fact that you know we had this sort of epic 2014 wide receiver class and they did so well through their first two seasons that a lot of people were saying, well, it's not really that these guys are so good. It's that the league has changed and it's made passing to wide receivers so easy and it's it really inflated the numbers. And there may have been a little bit of that in in that moment. At the same time, you know, a couple years down the road, it's pretty clear that that was not the case. Those guys actually are good. And the people from the next several classes really struggled. You know, it, it wasn't a thing where we suddenly had all of these wide receivers jump into the NFL and immediately put up these gaudy totals. So anytime you're looking at, at one season there and thinking that, okay, everything has changed, it, you know, that's a tricky proposition, I think. On the other hand, there are some good reasons to believe that some things and some fundamental things are changing. For example, if I'm calling plays, right, one of the things you want to do is you want to get the, the ball into the hands of your playmakers in positions mm-hmm. where they can do the most damage. And 
part of that is this element of play calling and how do we call plays that both have a decent expectancy in terms of uh, drive success. So how is a play contributing to the success of the drive? And then sort of individual success rate within the context of just getting another first down, which people often focus on. And there is reason to believe based on the, the data that coaches focus on that, not so much even scoring, but just how do you get this next first down? Well, a pass to a running back is a very, very effective way to balance those two concerns. And so if you've got these great players, you've got someone like Todd Gurley, you've got an Alvin Kamara, you've got a David Johnson, you've got a Le'Veon Bell, then I think the way that you want to use them is not that you're never going to give them carries, but you definitely want to get them involved in the passing game. And so the question that I think that we're going to see going forward is where do those passing attempts, so these attempts to these top running backs, where do they come from? Are they going to come from running plays or are they going to come from passes to the wide receiver? I think, you know, there's there's plenty of information to suggest that those plays should come from running back carries, that those are the least efficient plays. They're plays that hurt you in terms of the drive. They hurt you in terms of overall win probability. They increase the chances that your most important players get hurt on a play that doesn't matter. So there are a lot of reasons to move away from those plays. At the same time, I do think we're going to have a lot of the plays to the running back, those those passes. Two years ago, we saw a situation where David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell lit the world on fire, in part because in terms of expected points, so not um, efficiency numbers, but just based on where they got the touch, they had double-digit expected fantasy points in both the run and the pass game, which obviously sets them up for an incredibly high floor. Uh, this past season, we saw Kamara, we saw Gurley have uh, seven-plus expected points. And then because of the efficiency of their offenses really uh, outperform that by more than three points to where they're getting double digit production as receivers. So how it affects the running backs, I think uh, may be a little bit clearer than how it affects the receivers. The other thing is that there's also some good information coming out, looking at play success rates, uh, suggesting that you really should run around the goal line, that that's going to be the most successful and sort of contrary to what teams have, have often done, coaches have often done, those plays are, are more successful if you actually spread the field and then run it as opposed to, you know, go to some kind of heavy formation. So I think that we may see more coaches using that information and calling the plays they should call down around the goal line, which would not benefit wide receivers. So that would definitely hurt. I think the other side of it too, though, is simply this idea of 2017 and what happened, right? We we lost a bunch of the top quarterbacks and there's no way that that's not going to affect wide receiver production. And so at least for the moment, we have some guys like Aaron Rodgers back. Hopefully we're going to have Andrew Luck back. Uh, and then this also could be a season where we have maybe the quarterback version of, you know, what we had in 2014 with the receivers, what we had uh, in 2017 with the running backs. So if we get a few more of those quarterback positions, filled with elite players now, that will certainly help the passing game that will certainly help those top receivers. And so I think we could have some breakouts at the receiver position based on better quarterback play. And, you know, a year from now, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if these running backs who are going so early in rookie drafts do well, but I'd be even less surprised if some of them struggle and we're not looking back and saying, well, 
just like maybe we overreacted to the 2014 wide receiver class that, you know, maybe I should have taken DJ Moore a little bit earlier in my rookie draft. <laughs> maybe I should have taken Christian Kirk, uh, Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton, instead of uh, some of these running backs who, you know, were, were at the top of the drafts there. Yeah, a lot of um, really interesting points there. And now that I've had some more time to reflect on it, I do think that um, I was correct at the time in thinking that, you know, we can't be looking just at that 17 season and, and let it cloud our judgment too much. And there is a lot of recency bias coming into play with the running backs. Now, the one thing that I do believe troubles me, and you kind of alluded to this, a lot of the teams that are out there right now, their best offensive player is their running back. And this is something that we may not have seen as often. So I, I can understand why uh, drafters are going to be seeking out these running backs. And it's fair to expect that they're going to have potentially more opportunity uh, this season than some of the receivers you would be drafting around uh, where they are. So it, yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting points right there. And I think, um, in terms, it, it's really interesting. And I hope that at some point in the future on the podcast, uh, we can cover this more, just like learning more about what the data actually says about what teams should be doing on the field. Cause that really is some, uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah. And as we look to the season too, I think that, you know, you mentioned the tight end and the situation with the receivers. And one thing that I would suggest, not saying it's definitely going to play out this way, but you hear a lot that wide receiver is so deep. And I don't think that that's the case. And I think that your information shows that that's not the case. So can you still get a value from taking the top wide receivers? Definitely. And this concern with the tight ends and the tight ends losing value, I think that also encourages an approach where you really do try and lock down one of the top guys because they score so many points. You know, look at the the numbers uh, again from your tool with with Gronk and really only like one round's worth of running backs who are expected to uh, score more points. Now that's not uh, more points above replacement. That's just a simply points in general. And so when you have some of these guys available, like a Gronkowski, like a Kelsey like an Ertz, and then you look at the rest of the position, uh, I do think it's something where you should hit tight end early or hit it really late because, you know, it, it, it's only one spot on your team, perhaps. You know, it doesn't necessarily cost you a ton to use a seventh round pick at tight end, but you want to maximize the value of every single one of those picks and constantly be loading up on players who not only are value at that spot, but where there are scenarios that their value could really jump. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But, you know, when you're using a pick at tight end that could be used more effectively elsewhere, certainly I think you're hurting your team. All right. So I actually have some some thoughts that that go against the grain with what you're saying there. So hopefully they arise in the mock, but to keep things moving, I'm going to remind listeners that they can get a listeners only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Not only uh, does that really help us out and we appreciate it, but you'll also be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, then listen to future episodes to hear if you're the winner. And if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to run through a mock draft together 
and we're going to get a better sense of how Sean builds his teams and approaches a draft. But before we get into the specifics of our mock, Sean, what are some of the things that you look at as you think about league rules, roster settings, and the specifics that kind of inform your approach to a particular draft and league? Well, we talk a lot at Rotoviz on winning the race to fill the flex or winning through the flex. And so especially in a format like this, where we have just as many flex positions as we have running back and wide receiver positions, then figuring out how we're going to address the flex, you know, where we're going to make those picks and who can be counted on to score more points in the areas of the draft where we might be attacking the flex. I think that's the first thing that you do when you're trying to find sort of a a structure to go with and sort of building from the middle out. Yeah. I mean, I think that the flex is always really important, right? And that's one of those, um, one of those things that I tried to address in in building the tools like I did because there was approaches like VBD that I didn't really feel like, you know, brought in the flex in um, the importance that it needed to be. Um, now, one thing I'm going to ask about while I try to pull up the screen sharing for us here that wasn't on the show sheet, but I'm sure you'll be fine talking about is when you see leagues with different type of scoring systems, you know, things that you might not have played settings that you might not have played with before do you try to make sure that you don't overreact to those or how do you go about accounting for differences in scoring systems well it all comes back to to the scoring in the end and so i think you want to have a sense not only of who's going to score the most points by position but how does this change what we might see in terms of ways that players values might shift so people talk a lot about volume and they talk a lot about, okay, this is the opportunity that we enter the season with, but leagues are mostly won and lost by players who see large value shifts during the season. And so when you're putting your roster together, you want to be getting values, right? So you're not necessarily reaching two or three rounds to try and get your guy, but you know what the average draft position is telling you in terms of who's going to be available. And you have either your projections or projections from a source that you are confident in. Certainly, I think using the tools is an excellent way because again, looking at this, you know, low, median, high, uh, average, getting a sense of the different floors and the different ceilings is an excellent practice to go through. So you have a little bit of a sense there. And then you can also use the tool, the projection machine to take the specific scenario with this season that you think will play out at the beginning but then also start to work through other types of scenarios. Uh, Devin McIntyre has written some excellent articles uh, for the site in the past talking about how it's not just injuries to the player in question that make a difference, but injuries to teammates. And we, we think about this a lot with running back, where if the starter goes down, then often the backup has a lot more value. But it, it also happens at wide receiver and tight end, right? So we have this overall target share, and it's split between the different main receiving threats. But if you are DeAndre Hopkins, for example, and Will Fuller goes down, that's going to really change how many targets you're going to expect to have. Obviously, you know, Rob Gronkowski right now is in a situation where, at least until he gets hurt for the first time, uh, could see (laughs) massive target numbers going through for that first month. So you want to work through the different possible permutations and you want to look at someone and say, okay, based on what I think is the most likely scenario, this is a good value. But then target players who 
in a variety of other scenarios can really build on the value that's there. And so then you go back to the format and if the format favors running backs, then when you're looking at middle picks or flex picks, you want to hit that position where a change in value is going to allow them to be league winners and vice versa for wide receivers if that's what the format uh, really favors. Yeah, and actually, um, as as you mentioned there with ranges of outcomes, that's something that um, I and uh, Matt have talked about frequently um, on this show here, I'm actually going to be using the historical projections to do a series that's going to visually display a player's range of outcomes because yes, there's the median, there's the low and there's the high projection, but that also is leaving out some vital information where if you look at a graph that shows you the distribution, you can see that there might be some differences between a player or players that have similar highs or, or, you know, relatively similar lows and highs, because there might be a higher distribution for one player of um, guys that are going above their median. And I've also, I'm working on a metric that's going to try to encapsulate that into just one number. So there's going to be some exciting stuff coming down the line, and there's still things that we can do building upon some of the things that are in those tools, and then also incorporating some of the findings from the from the projection machine. So we have a lot of exciting stuff, uh, but I do want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The 2018 NFL season is almost here, and the FFPC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget, whether it's best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues. There's drafts filling daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. Jump into a slow or live draft today. And the FFPC really does have the world's greatest contest in season-long fantasy football. Come to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas this September and draft in the FFPC main event while spending opening NFL weekend in Vegas with hundreds of diehards just like you. And if you can't make it to Vegas, then draft online from the comfort of your own home and compete for the massive $250,000 grand prize with over $2 million in total cash prizes in this year's contest. Don't miss the FFPC experience or Rotoviz listeners. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Okay, so with the excitement is building now, Sean, because we are going to be drafting in a half-point PPR league, 12 teams, 16-man rosters in the following starting requirements. One quarterback, two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, two flex, and the flex can be wide receiver, running back, or tight end, one kicker, and one DST. So that's 10 starters, six bench spots. We're going to be drafting out of the five spot. So off the bat, do you have thoughts on how we should approach this league? For me, the biggest questions are going to be what we do with the flex, keeping in mind that it is a 0.5 PPR league with 12 teams. Right. And I think when we're looking at this first pick, um, we really want to be asking ourselves the question, well, who are the elite players? Who do we have as not just maybe the tier one players as we break them down uh, within within the tool, but maybe even sort of the, the the top half or the the true superstars in that first tier. And obviously the half PPR will affect the scoring somewhat, but I do think that we have heading into this season uh, almost regardless of format, because even though there are some flaws with the value-based drafting, we do want to take into consideration that 
if we're playing an Antonio Brown or a DeAndre Hopkins in our top wide receiver spot, then you know that, that that's going to help us, even if in this format they don't score quite as many points as the top running backs, especially then if right. we can really fill in with our flexes with with other running backs. Maybe we have a, a four starting running back and we have some strategies for filling in the stars there. So one of the things that I think right off the bat can be kind of fun to think about or valuable to think about is that you can use some of the principles of zero running back in formats that it's not good for. For example, the Scott Fishbowl, the last couple of years has not been as favorable for for wide receivers, but that doesn't mean you can't use some of the same strategies. So with zero running back, we're trying to find those middle round and then late round values in order to make sure we get some points there. But if you're in a very running back heavy league, you're kind of doing the same thing just with some running backs early as well. But then you want to continue to fill in with some of those middle or late running backs where they have a a potential or a chance to vastly outperform what their ADP is. So you think about some of the guys we've recommended the last couple of years with last year, Alvin Kamara and, and Kareem Hunt. Uh, previous to that, Melvin Gordon. The year before that, uh, Devontae Freeman and Doug Martin. Some guys who had these extremely high win rates. Well, in a, in a league like this, where maybe we want to start four running backs, we're still going to target those same types of players in order to fill back in in that flex position. We're just going to do it after having already taken some running backs. But getting back to this this fifth pick, I have five guys that I think are the true stars in Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Antonio Brown, and DeAndre Hopkins. That's not exactly what ADP is telling us. We have Ezekiel Elliott in there. Uh, When we have the fifth pick, if I'm right about having five guys, we get to have one of them. We may have options of several of them. Who do you see as the big five here? Before I answer that question directly, I just want to say that I think you touched upon um, a number of things that I thought were really um, important things to stress. One of them being when you talked about receivers having a lot of utility if they're at the top, even if they're not going to score as many points as their teammate or excuse me, as running backs may. And then the other thing that I thought was important to note was um, so one of the points that you touched upon uh, plays into one of the philosophies that I use a lot when you were talking about using principles of zero running back uh, and implementing them into a league where you might not be going just heavily at wide receiver. And for me, when I'm building a team and I'm going into a draft, I'm realizing that equally important in my success is going to be my in-season management. So I like to be planning ahead to facilitate my in-season management while I'm drafting. And I think that one of the best ways to do this is to build a strength into your team that you're not going to need to address in season. So if I'm building a team around running backs, I want to make sure that I'm going to great lengths to make sure that in season, I don't need to address any weaknesses there and then I'm good to go. So that was one of those key things for me. Now, as you ask about the top five players, for me, I do think that the potential for Le'Veon Bell this season is just insane. Uh, same thing, I think it's there for David Johnson. Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, I do believe, actually separate themselves almost into their own tier. For the fifth option, I think that you have to go Todd Gurley. Yes, the Rams were wildly efficient last season. I don't think you can expect or that it's fair to expect him to put together two seasons like he did last year, but there's not as many questions with Gurley as there are with some of these other players. I could see how you might be able to make a case for somebody like 
like Ezekiel Elliott to get into that, but I'm, I have questions and reservations about, uh, the Cowboys offense. And I don't think that he has the receiving ability as those other players. So long and short of it, Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, to me, are the two wide receivers in that group. And then you naturally have Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, and Todd Gurley. And Sean, are you able to see my screen? Yes. All right. So he can see my screen. So the only other thing we have to do is we have to allocate our 100 points in the tool. So I don't know if you actually said which position we are going to to favor. So I guess I have to ask you two questions. The first is for quarterback and tight end, are you okay with us waiting, seeing as we're drafting from pick five, and I think we're going to prefer to go away from a Gronkowski or a Kelsey at this point. Are you okay with us kind of waiting on quarterback and tight end? Definitely okay waiting on quarterback. I think that that's going to end up being what everyone does this year. But even yep. in even in that seventh, eighth round, or maybe you know you're looking at this, and and this may be more high stakes kinds of drafts in in your. Uh, recreational league your friends league which i mean frankly those are the important leagues uh you know you're probably <laughs> not going to get a seventh round pick of of aaron Rodgers, but yeah the quarterbacks are going to be available very late we should definitely set up to, to take some of those guys okay okay so we'll do that and then between running back and wide receiver which one do you want to prioritize i'm just asking for so for everybody that's listening um if you have not used the draft dashboard tool we allocate 100 percentage points across the positions that helps the tool point us in certain directions based upon all of the interactions and different things that are happening in the actual draft yeah so we want to make sure we're ready to take advantage of opportunities as they arise however with this being a half PPR league, knowing what we expect based on our variety of tools with the point scoring from the different positions, with this being double yep. flex, I think we want to think in terms of starting for running back. So let's make it a running back heavy draft to start with. Gotcha. So what I'm going to do for those of you that are curious, I am going to go 7% to quarterback. I'm actually going to go 65% at running back. I'm going to leave tight end down at uh, 12%. And that's going to leave us with just that balance to go to wide receiver, which for me, this feels very, very weird as I actually right now need to subtract 24 out of 40, which is going to put our wide receivers at just 16%. Uh, so for me, this is somewhat unchartered territory, but let's get into the mock draft. So the first we're drafting from pick five. So the first pick is going to be and you'll just have to give me a couple of seconds. It takes a little bit longer with the screen recorder on, or excuse me, not the screen recorder. We're not using that here, but with the um, all of the audio getting recorded. So the first pick is Todd Gurley. The second pick is Le'Veon Bell. So things are going as we would expect thus far. I wouldn't be shocked if this is David Johnson right here or Elliot. Yep, it turns out it's Elliot. Given the ADP, he gets into the conversation. And we are going to be up after David Johnson has been selected. So, Sean, Gurley's off the board. Bell is off the board. Elliot and David Johnson are off the board. I think that makes our decision fairly easy in that we're probably going to go with Brown or Hopkins, but perhaps you think differently using the road of his tears there still are Barkley and Kamara available yeah so knowing what we know about the second round the likely second round the likely third round the likely fourth round and how we might even yep. be able to hit uh, one of our second wide receivers that were really high on at road of in the fifth round 
Uh, let's let's stay with the receiver here and either take Brown or Hopkins. And my question for you would be: Brown seems like a little bit safer pick, still an incredible ceiling, but with more target comp- competition now in Pittsburgh and perhaps some changes to the offense. Uh, do you feel more comfortable with Hopkins as both a floor and ceiling guy? Oh boy. Um, you know, that's really tricky because I actually worked on the Pittsburgh projection today. I came out just with my, my best guess projections, 36 points higher on Antonio Brown. Um, it does though feel to me like at this point, the ceiling actually would be higher for Hopkins, which really feels weird to say, but it is because he is going to be the focal point of that offense. And if Watson is as good as he played last year, there are so many points for him to have. And uh conversely, I do think that he's by and large the most talented player in that offense. So he's going to have to be used. Whereas Le'Veon Bell, especially with this being his last season in Pittsburgh, could get featured so much. There's Juju there. Maybe Juju plays a bigger role than I'm expecting. It's actually, this feels really weird as I'm sitting here at my desk holding a toy Antonio Brown action figure that I'm going to say I actually have to say that uh, I think Hopkins is the play, which is crazy, isn't it? It, it does seem crazy to go with anyone other than Antonio Brown, but I think that's a justifiable pick here. One of the things with Hopkins is that Will Fuller is going to have a breakout season, and he's not just going to be a vertical threat. He's going to take a larger target share than almost any of the projections out there are giving to him. Even with that being the case, the Texans do not have a third receiver. They do not have a tight end. They do not have a running back that factors into the passing game in any meaningful sense. And so both of those guys can have extreme target levels compared to so many other offenses. And like you said, if, if Watson is back, you know, he probably won't play like he played for that you know, unbelievable breakout stretch last year, but he's going to play well. And those two guys are going to score points. Oh, wow. I, I love to hear that about Will Fuller because he's actually one of my guys for this season. I couldn't get him to a level that I wanted when I was doing my projections, but to hear that you're saying there's a breakout makes me very happy. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to skip ahead uh, 10 picks, which is one of the things that you can do in the tool. So to start off this draft, we are going with DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be interesting to see when things come back around to us, what is left uh, at running back. Now, I'm going to have to remember personally that this is a half point PPR league because I do have such a proclivity for those wide receivers. And one of the things I've experienced in the mocks that I've done this year is that if I don't get three or four wide receivers off the bat, I'm not happy with my, with my team. And a lot of that is because as Sean mentioned earlier, the wide receiver position this season is not as deep as you might think, uh, especially at the top, which again is one of those things that we've been seeing. So if that trend were to hold, it would really incentivize you to be building in strong wide receivers to your team. But again, we're in a half point PPR league right now with two flex. We're trying to get running backs into our flex. So I'm going to have to keep that in mind. We are now back on the clock, Sean, and I'm going to list off for listeners the players in the running back and wide receiver tiers. So there's tier two wide receivers remaining right now, and they are AJ Green, Mike Evans, Doug Baldwin, Adam Thielen, and your boy, Stefan Diggs. Now at running back, we have 
a couple of decent options in Christian McCaffrey and Jarek McKinnon, but that's it for tier two. Tier three is Joe Mixon, LaShawn McCoy, Darius Geist, Rashad Penny, Kenyon Drake, Lamar Miller, Ronald Jones, and Tevin Coleman. So we're already seeing running back start to thin. Our weighted preferences in the tool are pointing 87% at running back. I'm kind of thinking we probably need to go running back here. What do you say? Yeah, and one of the, the values of running the mock over and over in the tool is that you can see where players are going to end up based on how you put the emphasis with different types of drafts. One of the things that you didn't mention, I don't believe, but is in there is mm-hmm. that you can have different teams draft in different ways. And right. so when you do that, you also come up with more realistic types of drafts, especially if you do it over and over. So sometimes you're going to have your player get grabbed from you as opposed to a normal mock draft system where you're consistently getting your favorite guy in round four. And then you go out into your real league with your friends and suddenly someone else likes that guy and your whole team construction is destroyed by the fact that that one player you were counting on in round four is not there. That being said, Stefan Diggs is the guy we want. He's going to be available much later. And so we need to decide between Christian McCaffrey and Jarek McKinnon in this spot. Yeah, and, and I'm with you here now. We have an interesting decision. To me, Christian McCaffrey, I think, has the better floor than McKinnon. However, I think McKinnon has the higher ceiling. Oh, boy. This is a really tough decision. Um my gut though is pointing me towards McKinnon. Um, but I, I'm going to have to say this is, this would be a very difficult decision for me if I was actually forced to make it on my own. Do you have a, a strong, uh, proclivity either, either way? Well, these are two of my favorite guys. And I think that in a PPR league or a half PPR league where maybe the settings are a little bit different and you're getting some running backs to drop, uh, when you're having a chance to uh, select McCaffrey late, in round two you're having a chance to select mckinnon maybe in round three i mean those are are perfect selections in this spot the interesting question is is about mccaffrey and what his workload is going to be like now right we talked about the running backs really emerging in the passing game earlier uh, the interesting thing mccaffrey was the player last year who had double digit uh, expected points as a receiver again in that ppr format so Then we back off here and we realize that's not quite as valuable, but I think people can understate the importance of that even in other formats, right? Those receptions are such high value plays that with McKinnon having that floor, with McCaffrey having that floor, and then he's going to add in a ton of rushing attempts this year. The team has already started to say that uh, he did that in college. We see historically that his comps, players like Ray Rice and LaShawn McCoy, uh, potentially you know Jamal Charles, if you want to really extend out there, guys who started out with lower numbers, lower touch numbers, you know receiving numbers, maybe were looked at as receiving backs, and then second season just absolutely exploded. And McCaffrey was even more extreme where he was picked in the top 10 picks and they expected him to be a threat as a receiver right away. He was so successful. He was so involved in the receiving game that I think the danger is to pigeonhole him as a receiving back, as a Reggie Bush, as a Darren Sproles, when in fact he's going to be the bell cow. CJ Anderson uh, is not going to take as much of the workload as it might seem McCaffrey is just too good. So I think my preference would be for McCaffrey here, even though these are two guys I've been loading up on and trading for in, in all of my dynasty leagues. Yeah, I, I, you know, 
perfectly okay with the McCaffrey pick. And I, I do want to just kind of echo two sentiments that you made. One being, it is fine that Anderson is there. Even if Anderson gets, you know, a decent allocation of the rushing share, it's okay. That's not going to preclude McCaffrey from having an excellent season. And you do also need to understand just how valuable targets are in fantasy football targets are a much va- much more valuable uh, thing for a running back to have than an attempt. So I'm with you on that. So we're going to continue to move through. So we have Christian McCaffrey and DeAndre Hopkins as the start in our draft. Uh, the next 10 picks are going to transpire. Are there any names, Sean, that you might have seen in that tier three running back listing that you really like that you're hoping we can get? An interesting name to me would be Joe Mixon. Uh, Kenyon Drake is another name that Matt Friedman really likes. Do you have any thoughts there? I think that those are players I would be less excited about simply because I think that so much of what they're going to do is already factored into where they're being drafted. So I think that as the season goes along, there is a greater chance that Drake starts to lose a little bit of his volume to either a Frank Gore or a trendy rookie who was not actually a college player. Um, Oh gosh. But, but there's that potential for him to really lose out where you know, his, his volume is what he's being drafted on. Now he had an excellent finish last season. Uh, he's extremely athletic, but anytime someone has a very limited track record, really both in college and then what he's done so far in the NFL being drafted this early on volume, I think you want to sell that volume there. Yeah, definitely, definitely a fair point. So things have come back around to us and we just saw something interesting happen. The one of the computer teams, the team actually right in front of us drafted Travis Kelsey. That leaves Rob Gronkowski still on the board. And I'm excited about this because I think it opens us up to quite an interesting discussion here. Do you want to go back to running back or do you think that we pivot to tight end and take Rob Gronkowski? I should probably also mention that right now, the top wide receivers that uh, are still available are Thielen and Diggs. Boy, this is a loaded pick, my friend. Yeah, so Diggs obviously exciting here, but I think he could come back even another round for us. When we look at Gronkowski mm-hmm. versus running backs, there are some good running backs here. There are running backs who are going to score a lot of points. But I would jump back to that mention of using the some of the tactics from zero running back to find league winners based on how things are going to change throughout the season. I think there are going to be some guys available later. We'll feel comfortable putting in RB2, feel comfortable in the flex, whereas there are not many or hardly really any realistic scenarios where you pick a tight end and all of a sudden he becomes a Rob Gronkowski. That's not going to happen with a late round pick. And so you're going to end up, if our goal is to get points into the starting line, right? So one of the things people say a lot is that wide receiver is deep. Well, wide receiver is deep if you don't want to score that many points, right? So there are guys who are awesome, like, Marquise Lee, Paul Richardson, guys that like to get in almost every draft. But those guys are not going to score you enough points as a starter to consistently win. So wide receiver is only deep if you want your team to be average. We want to get as many points into the starting lineup as possible. And Gronkowski is the way to get points into the starting lineup here. Yeah. Now, I've never been a huge go for a Gronk guy, but that's because the rare opportunity i mean this is a unicorn really to have the opportunity to draft him with our third pick here really there's so much 
separation, this this is an instance where we do have to look at that separation between Gronk and what other options there could be. And even with some of those running backs we might be taking, there is a decent chance that Gronk in a great season could outscore them. So we're going to go with Gronk right now. So we have Christian McCaffrey, DeAndre Hopkins, and Rob Gronkowski. So this is an interesting example of how you might go into a draft with a certain approach, but have to tweak it as you go along. So now that we've kind of switched things up, Sean, are you still thinking that now we go back and pound running back? Or are we kind of at the point where we should start to consider adapting this approach? Well, I think we're still looking at the flex position being a running back heavy position. At the same time, there's no reason to reach for running back in round four when you can get the same guy in round seven, which is one of the reasons why you want to do a lot of mocks, but also you want to build your team backward in some of your mocks. So you're starting from round, I mean, 13 through 16 might be a little bit much since those are such crazy rounds. Uh, the value there is is not expected to be very high and you don't really know who's going to go in those rounds. But if you start building your team back from round 12, start to get a sense of who might be available later because who's available later is just as important as who's available with the pick that you are currently on. Yeah, and that touches upon one one thing that I wanted to mention, and I'm hoping that I have time to kind of get an article out about the things I learned from building this tool. It's also important that you are keeping apprised of the players that are off the board because that also does have ramifications. We're back on the clock. So Thielen and Diggs actually were the two most recent picks. So again, we have McCaffrey, Hopkins, and Rob Gronkowski. If we're looking at the tiers right now, there are four tier three running backs six tier three wide receivers. Uh, the running backs, I will read off their names. Uh, Rashad Penny, Lamar Miller, Ronald Jones, and Tevin Coleman. And then at wide receiver, there is Amari Cooper, Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks, Larry Fitzgerald, Jarvis Landry, Golden Tate. Any thoughts um, right off the gate on on those guys, Sean? Well, considering where we are here with a running back heavy draft just across the board and looking at some of those rookies who are now available, and then we take into consideration some of the fantastic work that Blair Andrews has done in his series, The Wrong Read. And he has demonstrated for us not only that rookies tend to actually be better values than people think, but that rookie running backs are extremely good values and that rookie ADP is actually uniquely helpful for projecting those rookie running backs. And so I think this is a great time to go with some of these uh, flashy guys, exciting guys. I mentioned that I think we're going to see more busts from this group uh, early on in the discussion. But that being said, I don't think that you necessarily want to simply shy away from it because you think there is some risk. So out of the rookies who are still there, who would be your preference? Boy, um, this is challenging. I have developed certain concerns about Rashad Penny. Now heading into the draft, I was less sold on Ronald Jones than other um, fantasy analysts out there were. So that leaves me with a a tough decision to make here. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, I actually think I'm still leaning towards going uh, with Penny here because I, you know what? Actually, I, I I think I'm going to take that back because I do think that Chris Carson is a significant threat. Uh, and, and I'm going to say that Ronald Jones is the guy I would go with. I, I'm kind of anticipating you to disagree with me here. 
Actually, Jones is is the player I've I've taken in okay. almost all of my drafts. I had a chance to trade into the 102 uh, in a in a best ball dynasty league that Ben Gretsch runs and spent you know half hour 45 minutes trying to trade down not surprisingly no one was really biting there and so i took jones uh, <laughs> with the second pick i think his situation there in tampa bay was an offense that could be fairly explosive now they definitely have some problems they have some real issues at quarterback obviously but their overall offensive personnel puts them in a position where you know they could they could score more points than than people are thinking and there's really no legitimate competition for jones down now peyton barber is going to get some touches but they're going to be those low value touches that you almost would prefer someone else take anyway just to knock down yeah. the injury potential a little bit so I love Jones in this situation. Uh, Carson is Chris Carson is a guy I've ended up with in almost all of my drafts. And so if we're going to hit the the Seahawks running back position, and I'm not buying the reports at all that he's actually going to be the starter or will be able to hold mm-hmm. off Penny for any length of time. But just the fact that they even are going to give lip service to that, I think gives you a sense of where he is and how much value he potentially could have if anything goes wrong with Penny. So this would be a situation where I think when you're looking at at teams and trying to get exposure to running backs in offenses where the running back could have a lot of value, I would prefer the number two out of that offense. So I would take that into consideration when I'm looking at Penny versus Jones straight up there. Yeah. And, and just because you mentioned it, and I've said it on the show before, but Blair's article series, The Wrong Read, is absolutely fantastic. I've read so much in it that I've started implementing into my approach that I really do mean it when I say that I think that series alone completely justifies your subscription to Rotoviz. So if you want to check that out, such a, uh, you know, perfect way to plug this here, go to, uh, the Rotoviz podcast homepage and get that 30% listeners discount. But I really do mean it an absolutely fantastic series. So I took the liberty of advancing the drafts so that we're back on the clock, Sean. We have Christian McCaffrey, Ronald Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and Rob Gronkowski. So at this point, we're four players into it. We have the two running backs. There are two tier two running backs still available. So we're lucky in that regard. Three tier three wide receivers. Now, Lamar Miller and Tevin Coleman are our running back options. Uh, if we move over to wide receiver, you have the likes of Larry Fitzgerald, Jarvis Landry, and Golden Tate, who I actually, I, I like all three of those receivers. I'm actually interested I think in going in at least considering the wide receiver option or, or to you though, is this less um, tricky of a, of a decision? I think if we had more confidence in the quarterback situation for Larry Fitzgerald mm-hmm. and or Jarvis Landry, it would be a very difficult choice there because at this point in the draft, based on what they've done, uh, for Fitzgerald throughout his career and recently, and then you know Jarvis Landry again. I mean, Landry is on such a run of elite seasons. I think it that can easily be lost when people look at his depth of target or his per play efficiency. That you know, step back and look at the big picture. Landry has been a star for a long, long time and has been consistently good for a long, long time. I don't think that you yes. really can ever go wrong owning him in a league, especially when we get to this point. One of the things that your tool does, as, as you kind of mentioned, is give a sense of what picks might be coming and the way the draft is going to unfold to give you the sense of, of where things are headed. Based on that, 
do you feel more comfortable with going for another running back? Because Tevin Coleman is maybe the guy that I've recommended more than anyone else to try and build your team out from the center around. We have Coleman here who is essentially being valued based on his production from last year where he split time with uh, Devontae Freeman in an offense that was not as explosive as it had been the previous year and as it will probably be this season. So when he's being valued on that and you're getting the potential for a true breakout, a Freeman injury completely for free, I mean, really at this level, you're getting that scenario just tossed in. It seems like uh, Coleman is someone to definitely consider as that league winning type of player. Now, you know, we've, we've talked about our zero running back lists. We've talked about yep. how we've hit on some of these guys. And one of the things is that, you know, those are some of the league winners, but there are other people too. There are people who don't necessarily hit. And as you have more than one pick in a draft, you know, thankfully you can <laughs> spread some of those picks out and, you know, potentially you're playing more than one team. So you can s- spread some of those picks out. But one of the things that happens is that after a guy hits and becomes a league winner, it takes on this sense of inevitability. Whereas until that happens, it seems very unlikely. And I think that's where we are with Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman's a guy who's actually been on the list for several years. And since he hasn't really been that league winner, even though in 2016, his value was excellent. Um, it starts to take on the sense of, well, this year is going to go the same way. But I think that's where you can really take advantage when there's a situation where people are starting to feel that what's happened in the past with a specific guy is going to happen again when you know there's so much potential for it to go a different way, a way that you know gets you a guy who in 2019 is picked at the edge of round one. Yeah, so... I think that the pick here would be Coleman as well um, out of the running backs. I think that gives us an opportunity to build very significant upside into our roster while still getting a player that I feel good about on a weekly basis as an integral part of our roster. And the other reason that I really feel confident here in going with the running back, even though when I look at those receivers, I get excited, is the tool said that our weighted preferences, 73% were looking towards running back. And the reason that I don't want to ignore that here is that the tool understands the makeup of players that have been taken and how other teams are building out their rosters. It knows the starters that need to be filled by each team at particular positions, and it knows the quality of players remaining at each position. And it's able to look ahead in a sense and say that we are going to optimize or best suit our preferences by going with a running back at that pick. And in a situation like this, where I'm not exactly sure where to head, I do fall back on what the tool is telling me because it's able to take a very global holistic view and point us in the direction of the running back. And I think that very often when I start filling out my teams, if I go back and I review when I stray away from making um, what would be steps towards going with quote unquote an optimal approach, which is what the tool is helping me to do. When I don't do that, I end up not liking my team as much. So we're going to go with Tevin Coleman. Now, do you have any questions on what I just said there? Does that kind of make sense? Sometimes I'm worried that I'm having trouble uh, verbalizing what the tool is actually doing. No, that I think that gives us a good sense of, of how it's setting it up, what information is available to us. And 
you know, there are five different screens that you can toggle between as the draft is going. And one of the things I would just mention here, I think is an excellent use for the tool if you're, you know, trying to decide whether or not you might want to jump in and and subscribe and, and get access to this is yep. that you can use this in preparation, but you can also use this in an actual draft. So I can go into right. an FFPC draft, set it up for the FFPC settings and make the picks along with my league as it's going. And when I do that, then the tool is going to give me information back, letting me know where it thinks the draft is going. And again, allows you to really build from both directions and anticipate what's going to happen later. And that's such a valuable thing to have once you get into the middle of these drafts and you're trying to make a tricky pick because you were set up to, you know, with a queue that has three guys and then the three picks right before you, those three guys come off, you're sitting there and now all of a sudden, you know, you have 60, 70 seconds to figure out what you want to do. Having this information at your disposal is really helpful. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've kind of neglected really mentioning that or, or talking about it this offseason. When I originally built this tool, and this is something that spans six years, I have literally spent thousands of hours on this. I've done the math out to make sure that statement's true, and I can easily, easily say I've gone well over a thousand hours. But originally, it was to help me follow along with drafts that I was in. Now, at this point, I'm doing hundreds of mocks. Uh, in the preseason, I don't need the tool, right? Like I have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the draft and I can follow along mainly in my head, but you realize there's so much um, data that you need to try to absorb to really contextualize your draft and to take each pick in having everything organized and just being able to quickly look and see the breakdown of the tiers or what I really like in real drafts, if I'm at the turn or maybe I'm pick 10 and there's the 11 and 12 teams, they're picking twice between me. You look and you see the makeup of their roster, and it really does make a difference. So I just wanted to echo that saying that this tool is more than just doing the practice component. And the great thing is when you're mocking, you're practicing using the tool. So when you're actually in that real draft, that FFPC draft with money on the line, you really will be a step ahead. You're used to using that tool. You have all this information that the other owners in your league presumably do not have, and it's going to really help you. So let's do another example. Now, hopefully, Sean, we're not going over the amount of time that you have because I'm having too much fun drafting with you here. We have Christian McCaffrey, Ronald Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Golden Tate, Rob Gronkowski, and Tevin Coleman. At this point, tier three running backs are gone. Tier three wide receivers are gone. We could think about quarterback. Personally, I don't think that should even be an option right now. So do we want to go back with a running back with a running back? Perhaps we go with a Cohen or a Lewis, or do we move back over and consider going with a wide receiver such as a Crabtree, a Sanders, an Anderson? Personally, I think that we still go with the running back here. So who's who's the top running back for you at this spot? I think the top running back for me personally is Dion Lewis. And I think for you, it's probably Cohen. Well, as we're looking at these picks, I certainly want to get running backs with a style where an injury could open them up to a full work. Right. Right. So you have this, this built in 
sort of three down ability, even if the back is smaller. And then if things work out the right way, now things don't have to work out the right way just because someone gets hurt. You know, sometimes you have the situation where a player plays so well that he works himself into the much larger share of the committee. So even at this point in the draft, I still want to make sure that the person we're taking can be a league winner if things work out the right way. Um, Lewis, if Derrick Henry does what he always does, which is have a few flashy runs and then mostly take right. the ball and fall down, um, Lewis, you think, can emerge and be the guy there? Yeah, I, I mean, I really do. And you talk about a league winner. We have seen stretches, especially last season down the stretch. Deion Lewis was that league winner. And listen, I understand that Derrick Henry has a rare profile. He's that fast, 250-pound, imposing back. But we've yet to see him really do something that asserts him as a true um, special talent in the NFL. Now, Dion Lewis, he has incredible skills. He has skills that other players don't have. And for the small stature, not only is he a great receiver, he really does have very good skills in the rushing game. And personally, my projections see him outscoring Henry uh, by a pretty decent margin. And that's not even accounting for the fact that he really could take a large share away from Henry as I really think he's going to be more effective in that offense. So to me with Lewis, you get a guy that we're going to be able to rely on week in and week out. And there really is that potential for him to finish as an RB1. I think more potential than a guy like Cohen. Rex Burkhead, I like as well, but the situation, right? The situation in New England is not one that we can expect to him, expect for him to be a weekly contributor. I think at this point, the pick for me really is Lewis. That sounds good. Especially when you consider that the Titans offense, you know, I have been picking every year since uh, Mariota came into the league, but I think this is the year that they finally break out and not that it'll be quite like uh, that one stretch for the Texans last year with Watson, but this is going to be a good offense. Derrick Henry, if not getting, if not for the playoff game last year against the Chiefs, where it looked like he was running against nine guys, I think he'd be drafted three, (laughs) four rounds later, potentially. So Lewis here is the pick. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting point too on Henry. I, I feel like at this point, if he did not have that profile that he did coming out of college, we would forget about him. Now, that's not to say that because he does, you know, because he hasn't done anything, we do forget about the profile. But, you know, we do have to temper the expectations. And I do like to look beyond uh, just those big plays. So when you open the stat explorer on a player like Henry, and a player like Lewis, there's a lot more things to get you excited about a guy like Lewis than there are with Henry. Anyway, we are back on the clock. So why don't we view this as our last pick? Um, as a reminder, we have Christian McCaffrey, Ronald Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Golden Tate, Rob Gronkowski, Tevin Coleman, and Dion Lewis. We are back on the clock. At this point, there are three tier four running backs remaining in Rex Burkhead, Duke Johnson, and Theo Riddick. And at the wide receiver position, we have Emmanuel Sanders, Marquise Goodwin, Robbie Anderson, Alan Hearns, Marquise Lee, and Rashard Matthews. When I'm looking at our roster, I'm probably feeling, I I think I'm feeling pretty good. I do like the running backs we have, but I would say that when I look at that wide receiver list, and I think about the fact that we're wanting to play a running back in the flex, I would be inclined to go back to running back here. However, with the names there, Burkhead, Johnson, and Riddick, I think there are significant significant concerns with all of them. So where, what's your thought process here? 
Well, jump us down to the next tier, because as you mentioned, those are going to be guys from a tier that really is a little bit more of a PPR emphasis. So uh, especially, I think Duke Johnson, if you didn't have both Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb there, he would be more exciting. I think with Theoretic, if you didn't have both Carrion Johnson and LeGarrette Blunt there, he would be more exciting. There might be a a running back who has less immediate opportunity who would still yep. be the preferred pick here simply because there are scenarios in which he'd be much more valuable as a flex player. The other thing I would consider though too yep. is with Robbie Anderson, uh, how much of a discount are we getting because there is the potential for a short suspension? Um, there's a little bit more potential target competition although he seems clearly to be the number one guy has a true breakout profile certainly has the vertical ability that gives you touchdowns some splash plays some league uh some league winning weeks but then maybe you're concerned that you know you won't play him at the right time knowing that we're probably only going to play two wide receivers and we have a couple of guys for the starting spots we wouldn't need to play him in week one uh does Robbie Anderson have enough of a higher ceiling here to go ahead and add him to the roster with the idea that by midseason that quarterback situation will shake out? Any concerns about a suspension will be, you know, far in the rearview mirror. And at that point, he might be someone again with this idea of trying to get points into the starting lineup, but he might be really a, an edge of the wide receiver one kind of player. Yeah, there's some interesting points to consider there. And I think for me, I don't know if I read off the players that are available at the wide receiver position, but it's Emmanuel Sanders, Marquise Goodwin, Robbie Anderson, Alan Hearns, Marquise Lee, Richard Matthews. I like Anderson the most because when I look at this list, I think that especially at this point in Emmanuel Sanders' career, you look at this list, Robbie Anderson makes a strong case for having the... um most special skill set, or at this point, potentially being the most talented player. Uh, but you also look at the teams that they're on. He is the clear cut wide receiver. One, I understand that Alan Hearns potentially could be as well. But, um, you know, I, I do think that the thing you have to keep in mind is Hearns is not going to be the focus of that offense. Anderson very really could become the focus of the Jets offense. And when you can, when you contrast that with some of the running backs that are there, like Isaiah Crowell, Ty Montgomery, Naheem Hines, Latavius Murray, Giovanni Bernard, Dante Foreman, James White, I think that I kind of view Anderson as a strong play here because let's say that Tevin Coleman or Deion Lewis or Ronald Jones, Christian McCaffrey doesn't pan out. At this point, there's enough upside with Anderson and a high enough floor that he could be, I believe he's going to be a guy that we can could be okay with having in our roster on a weekly basis. So this is a case where we're kind of building in some floor, getting a guy that we can have in our rotation in the event that he needs to and does possess some upside. So I think that might have been kind of where you were going with this. Do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe any disagreements, um, things to add? No, I, I have Anderson as one of the clear um, every other draft kinds of players where you want to have an extremely high ownership percentage with him you know he might be one of those examples uh when people say wide receiver is is deeper you know you, you look at some of those other guys and you're you're not going to win your league with them but anderson is that player who even if he doesn't take the next step if he just does what he was able to do over the second half of last season then i mean he's he's a clear starter for you yeah he was fantastic and, and again um 
the opportunity is going to be there for him. So it, it's hard for me to imagine him not building upon what he did last season, barring any potential off-field issues. But, uh, you know, I, I think for me, there's not enough uh, signal there at this point that we need to worry about that too much. And also, if something else does come out and you get a little bit of a discount on him, like you said, he's going to be a really good value. So I think that we've probably gone through enough picks. We're, I think, approaching the hour and 20 minute mark. So we should probably close things down. But again, uh, we went with Christian McCaffrey, Ronald Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Golden Tate, Rob Gronkowski, Tevin Coleman, Dion Lewis, and Robbie Anderson. If we were going to continue to build out this roster, Sean, uh, any key things that you would be looking to do? I think just continuing to hammer on players who could see a real shift in the amount of points they scored. You mentioned Hines as a running back who is still available and is in a situation maybe not dissimilar to... Um, well, I think he's a player who has some similarities with Alvin Kamara. Obviously, you don't expect the kind of season that Kamara had last year. At the same time, Kamara was so inexpensive in part because at that point, he had both Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson in front of him. Hines essentially has no one in front of him in an offense that could be explosive. Now, there's reason for extreme skepticism about the offense this year with the Colts Lux performance this year, how that filters down to the rest of the players. But if the offense works, you know, Hines has Marlon Mack really to deal with and Mack is someone else to hit and try and get into your lineups because both players are undervalued based on volume. And while I've said, don't chase the volume on guys that you don't like, especially when that volume could really shift to be even greater than where it is now, you want to take some shots at those types of players as we move through the draft. Yeah. All things to keep in mind. Um, so I guess the one thing uh, I want to say before we close down is if Sean and I were to go ahead and continue filling out um, this roster and completing this draft, once it is done, we would have the ability in the tool to go back and run through um, a could have drafted scenario. And basically what the tool does is you can go back and for each pick that you had, you can see the players that would have been available. So we really want to think critically about how we approach this draft and review where we could have done things differently. You have the ability to do that. Um, again, it's going to show you every player that would have been available at each pick that you made. And then you're going to be able to do a comparison about, uh, you know, the things that you could have done better, how your team would have been structured differently. And I think for me, it's been very eye-opening and just helping me to get a better sense of how things are going in 2018 and how best I should um, approach drafts. So Sean, that's going to wrap things up for us here. I guess I'll just give you one more opportunity to see if you have any closing thoughts really on anything that you, that you want to mention. Well, I would just, again, uh, encourage subscribers if they haven't taken advantage of the tool to do that non-subscribers to go ahead and sign up dave's tool is is worth it by itself as he mentioned blair's articles are worth it just like themselves just by themselves and there is a ton of, of other information other apps other articles that are coming out every day so consider that as you're prepping for your draft have fun with your draft. One of the things I like about this draft is that it has players I'm excited to root for. It has stars on it. And I think that in a time period where you really do read and hear a lot about chasing volume and trying to be safe, that drafting a team that when you look at the guys you have on it, when you're done and are excited, 
that there's real value to that. So I would encourage people to draft teams that are fun, that they're going to enjoy rooting for, because I don't think that there is an either or. It's not a situation of you can draft a team to win or you can draft a team to have fun. You can do both and you should because Sunday's way more fun that way. You know, and at the end of the day, it's something that we lose sight about sometimes, but um, fantasy football, I really do think that it should still be fun. You're going to have your best results when you're making sure that you are having fun. Um, and a final thing I want to mention, dude, just talking about subscribing to Rotoviz, very honestly, my subscription to Rotoviz has just made me smarter overall. And uh, it's so interesting when we have guests like Sean on and we get to hear their thought processes, how they approach the game. And that's one of the things that we're always doing at Rotoviz is focusing on not just the players, but getting into the strategy and just thinking about um, different ways that you can approach a game. And uh, that's one of the things that makes fantasy football extremely fun for me and always keeps it fresh and new. So thanks again, Sean, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Dave. It was, it was awesome to be here. Hopefully Matt will take a few more vacations over, over the years <laughs> and we can do this again. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again. I cannot, uh, I cannot wait till the next time we have you on. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Sean Siegel, who you can follow at FF Contrarian. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and tell us your bold predictions. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Yeah.